0: Intelligence.
1: to the brightest audience in creation. I am Doug McBurney, the host of the Weekly Worldview and sometimes guest host here on Real Science Radio. Well, actual guest host this week as Fred Williams continues on his important assignment out there. And I am joined in studio again by Daniel Hedrick, cybersecurity expert and election fraud connoisseur. I wanna welcome Daniel Hedrick back to Real Science Radio.
0: Thanks a lot, Doug. I've so much enjoyed last week. I really loved going through some of our past. And I did realize that there's still about what, maybe 150 more stories to tell. But <laughs> you know, maybe since we are doing real science radio, we, we can start focusing on that. Yeah, you know, the, the the one that I, I wanna start off with is the one that caused me the most difficulty early on and i'm sure you've heard of what's called the starlight and time problem have you ever absolutely.
1: heard of that oh absolutely
0: okay. yes yes cool Good, good. So, you know, like the concept is pretty straightforward. You run into someone and they go, well, obviously the universe is 15 billion years old because we can look across the system and actually see much further than that. It's wider than it is based off the time of 15.8 billion years. Right. Uh, And if you just think for a moment, if we've only been around for 10,000 years, how is it possible that I could see something 10,000 years or further away 1 million 1 billion 10 billion light years away how is that even possible that's a good and
1: question you know not all questions are good questions but that is a good question
0: it is right and and at the time the very first time i ever heard of it i was like uh, uh i don't even know right? what to say like right? that freaked me out you know like uh wait i'm still young earth right <laughs> you know? yeah exactly so, yeah so i mean it did catch me off guard and then I remember, and I really don't recall whether it was Bob or, or a combination of Real Science Radio and others, because we're going to talk about that right now. But one of the examples, you know, is right out of Job 9-7, and it says, He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads wow. on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, the Orion, and the Pleiades And wow, that just tells you so much, but the word is stretched out the heavens. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember also being confronted with Dr. Russell Humphreys. And I'm curious if we could just have a listen to him. You're going to get his attitude towards it. And I would recommend that people pay attention to what Russell Humphreys has to say as an opportunity to recognize that there might be multiple ways of dealing with this, but let's, let's hear what he has to say.
2: Cosmology has been a tough problem for young earth creation science. To solve difficult problems, though, it helps to know that there is an answer. I found by repeated testing that the Bible is scientifically reliable. So now I use that knowledge as a road map to guide me into new scientific territory. I also use present scientific knowledge knowing its limitations. But I require any theory, any new theory I generate, to conform to what Scripture clearly says. My best scientific insights, including my creation cosmology, come from following that procedure. Now for example here in Psalm 147, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Now that word telleth in the Hebrew means to count. So God counts the number of the stars. That implies that they're finite in number, and that's emphasized by him saying he calleth them all by their names. In contrast, verse 5 says that God's understanding is infinite, or in Hebrew, uncountable. So God's understanding is uncountable, but the number of stars in our cosmos is countable, or not infinite. So my initial response to to
0: what he said at the time, and even now, it doesn't make me feel comfortable, because as you might remember, Doug, that I had happened to be the one that was the moderator when Bob did the old earth and young earth debate several years back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. One of the phrases that they used was this idea of an event horizon. And that was way, way too close to some of the old earth theology or the idea that you could have old earth be a representative example of what the Bible says. And I didn't, I didn't feel like that was right. There was something that wasn't right. And so what I want to just briefly say to the audience again, is sometimes the Lord will reach into your mind because there's no possible way that I would have done this on my own. At least I'm not exactly sure how this came to me. And I am not really a spooky spiritual person to suggest that I have angels talking into my ears or even God, but this is one of those times. And so what I did, And I imagine being in a tent, you know, surrounded by 15 people. And then outside of that, a hundred thousand people all walking through while it may seem that this starlight in time thing is a real problem. Maybe it's not. And the example is what I did at the time was I just took a piece of paper and I drew an S multiple s's all over this paper and the s was just to represent what i called a spiral cluster galaxy and you can imagine looking at the the deep view of the universe and all those spiral cluster galaxies sitting there and then i drew a letter e anywhere on the paper and then i just asked the question what's the furthest distance from the letter e to the furthest letter s Let's just say it's 10 inches for sake of an argument. And then you could also suggest, well, how long did it take me for to write it? Well, let's say that took me a minute and a half or two minutes. So you can see that it already doesn't make much sense that distance equals time by any means, two and a half minutes to now it's 10 inches away. It's kind of odd. But then if I went and stretched out the paper, which technically I really couldn't do. So instead I used my hands or scissors and I cut a spiral and And I'm telling you that I actually felt like I got compelled by the Lord on this one. So anyway, you do a spiral all the way. It doesn't even matter how you cut it. Just make sure that it's a single piece. You know, you're not cutting it up, but you're cutting it into a a long string. And then, of course, if that amount of time it took me to cut it up one minute and then you measure the E to the furthest S. Next thing you know, you have much Further, let's say 30 inches and then it's even less time because it took less time for me to cut it now i realize it's not a one for one but you can see how doing something so obscure like you didn't expect that well don't you see that god's stretching out the heavens that's pretty interesting and that might actually be the solution to the problem well that
1: that is one of the most helpful visuals I've ever had drawn in my mind by another human being. And I have no doubt that you were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Daniel, you don't have to be a spooky spiritual person to know that, or to discover that if you spend time in God's Word, and you are concerned with what God thinks, that the Holy Spirit will let you know especially when you need to know, he will let you know. So inspiration by the Holy spirit is not something that we should shy away from or assume that it's spooky or, or weird or anything like that. It's inspirational. And what you just said, you, you didn't even do it. If you did that in front of me, it would be even more effective, but even on the radio, that's a very helpful way for us to understand that you don't necessarily, we're not compelled to associate distance with time. Exactly. At least the author wouldn't have been constrained in that way.
0: Wow. I love it. Exactly. I like
1: it a lot. I think you should use that. I like it a lot. Wow.
0: Well, I do. And I I love doing it. I love using it and have used it multiple times. And of course, the one that I think I probably use more than any other is dinosaur DNA. And right. uh, I don't think that there's, you know, I don't think it's funny when we say dinosaur DNA and we literally have to say the word in situ. So <laughs> like, wait a minute. Did yeah. you already say dinosaur <laughs> biological material? That like, should no, be enough. In situ. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> Meaning it literally came from a dinosaur, you know. And It's just funny that you even have to say that. And uh, <laughs> Doug, let me ask you this. If I said the number 521, what would that mean to you?
1: All right. So I think... That's possibly an estimate for the half-life of DNA.
0: Perfect. I think, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, there's certain numbers and I'm really good at that. That's why I'm pretty good at memorizing Bible verses too. They just seem to kind of bind together. I just need a number and that phrase and they stick together like glue and I pretty much remember them uh, all the days of my life. Now I've looked it up and I've been trying to get this and I didn't have time to complete this, but. I remember reading some of the science and they're saying that if you have the half-life of 521 years for the binding, the amino acids of DNA, that literally under perfect preservation or optimal, depending on how you look at it, it wouldn't last more than a million years. I still don't see how that's right because if I have 3 billion base pairs, and this is an open question if anyone could write to us and let us know, but if I have 3 billion base pairs, and by the way, that's how many base pairs humans have not necessarily a T-Rex. So I know we're kind of mixing things up or I am anyway, but if I were to go half-life on that and all you do is divide it by 50% over and over at the rate of 521, that's less than 20,000 years. So somebody help me out. I know my math must be broken, but it doesn't really matter if it's broken that much because it certainly wasn't 65 million years ago. The dinosaurs were wiped off the earth. Right. Let's, right. Let's just try one more how about 5730 does that number bring anything to you uh is that about how old
1: the rabbis say the earth is right now (laughs) that is great actually
0: i didn't even realize you're i think you're actually pretty close to it. (laughs) 5736 that's so funny because it's actually the half-life of carbon-14. Oh, it's that uh, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Isn't that funny? I guess, <laughs> you know, if, if you would have said six at the end, I would have Of course. That's, you're right Yeah, right. Okay. Jewish, Jewish years. You know, again, bringing that out, and Bob used to always say this over and over, is that we were finding there's so much carbon-14 that we can't actually use it as a method of dating. And the way I have personally said it is that if the entire earth was made, all of it was made of carbon 14, it would decay in less than a million years. Yes, so that's why that. I'm a little confused. Yeah. So that's why I'm a little bit confused about how you could have base pairs be a million years. I don't know. Optimal. I, I don't quite get it. Maybe there's Well, is a Daniel, different- I
1: think that creationists have our default position has been to give a little bit too much grace to the other side, I I think. And that's how we end up a million, because to get it to a million seems kind of difficult, but I guess we could say that that's how big we are. We're willing willing to give them the first million.
0: (laughs) Well, the one that I always say is, how in the world could we possibly know the half-life of DNA in a dinosaur bone unless we had DNA from a dinosaur bone? Right, (laughs) It's like, how do you figure those numbers out? Like, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I do, you know, when I end a conversation, I don't always unfortunately get to the gospel, but what I'll do is I'll try to do what's called a mnemonic impression, right? Memes. right? And if you can impress upon someone and I have all kinds of different ways of doing it, but I'll just say before they leave, I'll say something like, what was 521 again? What was 5730 again? Make them answer it. And now they're stuck with it. Like, literally, they're going to be confronted. And uh, again, I tell you that I don't always preach the gospel. I wait for that right time. But for me, my joy from God is now here's perspective has always been to remove a barrier, to remove one more stumbling block that they can't trip over on that one. Now, I'm sure they'll stumble over something else, but it won't be that one. And that's why the different
1: members of the body have different functions. And if each one of us are out there removing stumbling blocks, then hopefully the lost will have a better opportunity to stumble into faith because of us. So that is, uh, I agree. And
0: and, you know, the thing is what I want to say, and it's important is that if we can bring this to the forefront, it's going to be harder to rewrite history because at least some will have some latent knowledge in the back on wait, wait, I'm pretty sure dinosaur DNA degrades at a pretty fast rate. We shouldn't have any of that whole thing. And it won't be the fact that we destroy Christopher Columbus, you know, like they are doing. And most uh. recently, now we have that President Washington really wasn't that great of a president and on and on. And it will be any trace of the idea that secular paleontologists discovered legible. DNA from dinosaur fossils. Well, if they can get rid of that, that's fine. But if real science radio continues, if the search engine that real science radio put together and all the data behind that sticks sticks around, well, again, men are going to be without excuse, right? Because the information is there. And dinosaur DNA is the greatest threat to the idea that there is this old earth or that it you know i think the young earth reveals that everything was created as a system in a very short order and the lie of naturalistic origins without god and in this modern darwinian iteration of millions and millions and billions and billions of years ago depending on which direction they go i i hate it all <laughs> and so if Amen. we could just jump into someone's life and go well there is one contraindicator for you. And I love that term contraindication, you know, a contraindicator, a little piece of data. If I could just leave that that spot of sand in their shoe as they walk away, and they're like, Wow, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I can't seem to walk as freely as I used to. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yes.
1: Well, I like that you said this modern iteration of millions and billions or or whatever they say of years, because it is just this is just the latest version of the same old thing. This this has been going on for 5000 years. This idea that the universe is is almost ageless. The, this right. modern darwinian version isn't anything new. In fact, there's a bible verse that I wish I could remember And I'm embarrassed that I don't, but there is a Bible verse that if I was better at verses, Daniel, I would quote it right now. (laughs) Go for it. It's just that the people say that things have always been as they are and they've always Uh, gone on from time immemorial. That's actually in the Bible written down
0: anyway. uh, So, well, I think the important part, Doug, is that we have got to reach a new generation and the children are growing up believing in pride and crt mm. and oh my gosh yeah help yeah. Me. yeah 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 let let us let us let us put a t-rex in their face let us put a hadrosaur in their face <laughs> there <laughs> Please, you go let, let there be a triceratops <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like it's like bob always said once they lose the dinosaurs they lose everything <laughs> that's right
0: that's awesome <laughs> well and, and if
1: dinosaur dna doesn't wake people up and take the dinosaurs back for the truth well, then the, that's the definition of willful ignorance, because it's simply it's indisputable that it, it just can't be. It can't even be a million years old, even if we give them the first million, which we should
0: probably that's, stop.
1: Doing and we years. should stop doing
0: that. That's right. But listen, <laughs> If we can take back the dinosaurs, then we take back the minds of the kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and so I have good evidence for what you're saying, Daniel, in my own children who were never handed over to the creeps and the weirdos in the government schools. They, my kids have never set foot in a public school, never, not even just to visit as like you might visit Alcatraz. You know, or you just wanted to go see some artifact of some relic of some horrible thing in the past. Uh, maybe someday my kids will go to a public school in that regard. But my kids were taught by their mom and their dad and by Bob Enyart and Walt Brown and real science radio and a little bit of a Becca instead of being institutionalized. They were also taught Daniel that the indisputable existence of dinosaur DNA makes the story of millions of years simply untenable. And so my kids laugh at that, Daniel, they laugh at it and, and, uh, one of the things Bob talked about was inoculating. We hear a lot about vaccines and inoculation going around these days. You can inoculate your children against lies and foolishness. If you can keep them out of the government schools and teach them the truth about, well, start with dinosaur DNA, right? Start with, it's. uh, it's
0: it's such a great place to start, man. There's no doubt. And the secular world, is rampant with fake science, pseudoscience, yeah. and I, I personally have decided to dive into the ramblings of so-called scientists on talk shows and podcasts for the very purpose uh, to hear, quote, the new thing. In some of oh, the boy. previous shows that we've done, briefly talked about assembly theory. And I do think that Lee Cronin uh, came up with a fair method for finding intelligent life outside of our universe. Now, will they find it? Probably not. And I'll go ahead and say no. But the idea, the the conceptual understanding that if you have molecules brought together under an intelligent design purpose, and then you break those molecules apart, it's you have the ability to recognize that this could not have been a natural process. So I accept that. Hmm. Yeah, But usually yeah. underneath all of it is always going to be the evolutionary model, natural selection and mutation. And believe me, it's nothing but magic. And I really don't quite get it. And then the last several weeks since I you know, haven't been on the show, I've still been busy. I've been going back and studying the Old Testament and realized there's so much stuff in there. And I've tried to understand you know the value of it for the current day and, and Jesus Christ. I don't really want to get into the theology side of things. But my point is that while I was studying the Old Testament, I also enveloped myself in podcasts from Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. And, and I'm hearing these people talk. So as an example, there's this guy named Bobby Azarian. He's a cognitive neuroscientist and he recently wrote a book and uh, I think there's also an audio tape, the romance of reality, how the universe organizes itself to create life consciousness and cosmic complexity. Wow. And uh, it doesn't sound awesome. It's Oh yeah. It's (laughs) just one of those, you know, but the truth is it's just the same old materials claim believing that randomness and accidentalness in or even keep it, I don't even want to say simple, make it more complexly stupid, is that if there really is multiverse, this idea of many, many universes, ultimately there'd have to be ours. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. even want to go down that road. But what I really want to say is that there isn't anything new here at all. And I also want to go back in time a little bit, and you'll hear from this next cut something that I think is interesting about how much they worship evolution.
1: But I will say that I do think there's, uh, intelligent extraterrestrials and, um, Richard Dawkins would agree with that. Uh, basically the idea is that on these other planets with sufficiently earth-like, uh, planetary chemistry, we get life inevitably. And then the book really argues that, uh, there is this, uh, that the evolutionary process um, creates this statistical tendency towards more intelligent life forms.
0: Right. Do you hear this, Doug? I mean, it's the tendency towards. I I just don't even know what to say, especially if we go back. If you remember in the previous show, I, I believe I talked about chirality. I'm just mentioning these things that are impossible to overcome without intelligence and uh, you know the 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 problem with water or the water paradox well before you get
1: what wait wait wait, now now go ahead give me give
0: me the the elevator pitch for chirality so people understand what you're talking about those who thank you thank you for asking so the notion here is that you have binding sites and it really doesn't matter but the whole point is like let's say with legos or something they connect together right Right. but the only way life exists and there is no answer. You go and search anywhere you want on the Internet. You will not find an answer. And maybe not even from creationists, other than the fact that it's just the way the design is. And the idea here is that when amino acids are attracted to each other, they can connect. And when they connect, you can almost consider it your hand. So if you have all of the connections together, there is one Option that we don't need to talk about, but pretty much all amino acids, when they connect together, are, are what are called right handed, and all life is connected via right handed. And so, let's say you had a string of 100 amino acids, they're much longer than that, and all of a sudden you have this left handed guy, except for glycine, but we didn't want to talk about that. But if you put a left hand <laughs> in there, it breaks and it pretty much renders the entire thing useless. Right. And so there's no possible way to use that particular information. And there is not an answer for to why things have to be right-handed. And you might remember the URA experience from way, way back, Stephen Miller URA, I think it's called Miller URA experiments. And their notion was just the binding. Hey, we got amino acids to connect to each other well, congratulations, how many right-handed and how many left-handed amino acids did you have in that vest? And right, of course, right. they won't even answer that question, right? Because we already know life has to be right-handed. What I also want to just briefly mention too, is that the way in which some of their own mentors, in other words, hey, we really like Darwin, but they had to come up with neo-Darwinism. Oh, well, we we really like neo-Darwinism, but you know, that doesn't really work either. We need more of a You know, the progressive thing isn't working. And so Stephen Jay Gould came out with something called punctuated equilibrium.
1: Oh, yes. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes. And and if you you can keep going, Daniel, because it's turtles all the way
0: down. It's yeah. And right. (laughs) And it's just so right. But that's exactly right. So the punctuated equilibrium, this is this notion that, well, you don't have to have these stepwise changes with mutations happening right? You can end up having it so that all the mutations bind up together over a long period of time. And then they all get expressed at once, boom, Boom, like an explosion, right? And it's like, wait, that sounds like intelligent design. (laughs) Ah, You ah. know, it's like, yeah, okay, we got this, we got this together. Should we put them all together? Yeah, let's put them together. What will happen? Oh, it it might do something special. (laughs) It's almost as if someone thought about it and then wrote it down and then did it.
1: But but wait a minute. No, it just happened accidentally. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. So, you know, and I could just keep going. I I remember Bob saying this and I remember also reading a book called The Origin of the Moon. And this is before I met Bob, but I I read the or I read the whole book. But before I read it, I went, I guarantee if I go to the very last chapter that he's going to refute everything he said. I literally it's one of those. I promise (laughs) you one of those other Holy Spirit things. I flipped it open. I went to the last page. He goes. I realized I just covered eight different ways that the moon could have been created, but actually we don't know for certain. <laughs> That's I'm just like oh my gosh, it's not about the origin of the moon, is it? And you know, <laughs> Bob used to say the same thing all the time. And of course, the same way with this Azarian guy which we just heard, it's not about the origins. It really isn't. It's philosophical mumbo jumbo in my opinion.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Well, it certainly can't be about the origins because well, one of the things that Bob oh, and by the way, that was a very esoteric inside reference. Turtles all the way down. I hope I didn't throw anybody off. But anyway, <laughs> Bob Bob used to use that phrase because in ancient times there was a superstitious belief that the Earth was supported. Well, some some cultures said it was Atlas. That's right. Who had, and then other cultures said, no, it was a turtle. The the earth was on the back of a turtle. And when the student asked, Well, what's holding the turtle up? the evolutionary teacher would say, Don't ask, son. It's turtles all the way down. Uh, So, anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. That was, that's one of my all time favorite Bob Enyartisms that I'm sure he got that from another teacher somewhere along the way. But uh, that's one of the just one of the many Bob Enyartisms that has stuck in my mind, along with, by the way, the fact that you just alluded to, Daniel, that a lot of people don't fully comprehend, or at least the other side is able to get away with lying about this more than just about anything else, is that they have no origin story. None, they have not no, one.
0: They have none. No, no, You're right. If you don't mind me saying straight up that Er Azarian basically claims that the physics of the universe will ultimately lead towards complexity. And he even uses the phrase designed. (laughs) And it's so frequent that he has to explicitly say that he doesn't mean the non-scientific term intelligent design. (laughs) <laughs> if there's any way I could get on one of these shows, just please let me interrupt long enough to get you guys to go. Wait a minute, do you guys just hear yourselves? It's really, really annoying. And so, and know I, I, I do. I think I, I love Dominic too. He told me, he goes, you know, I listen to these shows, so you don't have to. You don't have to go <laughs> yeah, right. and listen to them. Yeah. In fact, I would almost recommend that you don't listen to them because they, they unfortunately do turn left really hard sometimes and uh i don't know sometimes oh, so I just you're fast talking about
1: and... you're talking about uh podcasts with fellows like joe rogan
0: and lex exactly. friedman you listen exactly. to
1: those shows so that so that we don't have to
0: well yeah we certainly because yeah, i love you guys that. so much you know but i, <laughs> I really do want to know what's going on in the world i want to be able to be there so that when someone tells me oh have you listened to joe rogan it's like, well, as a matter of fact, I have. You know? <laughs> and maybe I might have a chance to, to intervene. Oh, well, well, Daniel, one thing we do appreciate here at Real Science Radio
1: is your intervening to help us put together yet another show. But I think we're about to run out of time yet again. And we have not yet gotten to <laughs> adenosine triphosphate and some of the topics that we had planned the entire show around because
0: we ended up having
1: too much fun talking about other stuff.
0: And we we should just keep doing it. I really do want to get to the next one too, because yeah, I hope we can do another show.
1: Yes. Let's, let's get together again. And so I want to close with, I'm just going to give a little tease. Okay. I'm just going to give a little tease because this is something that I intend to study further before we get to the next show, because in studying ATP, adenosine triphosphate, I was forced in order to understand that you have to understand something called the respiratory chain, which I was simply unfamiliar with. I consider myself something of an amateur biology student, but I had never fully Studied or comprehended what's called the respiratory chain. And just real quick, while back in 1941, while the socialists, the communists and the fascists were intent on destroying the whole world and killing all the Jews. The central role of the respiratory chain and adenosine triphosphate in our body's energy metabolism Was discovered by a couple of Jews who had been forced to flee the secular world that was trying to kill them and destroy itself. And they were hiding in the Christian outposts of the United States of America and England. And through, by the grace of God, these two Jews explained what would revolutionize biology and science for the next century by the grace of God. And so we're going to get into that and more and a little bit of Genesis that we'll throw in the next time we get together. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us and helping us to understand science better and to get to know our creator better. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Doug McBurney. For Daniel Hedrick and everyone here at Real Science Radio, may the Lord richly bless you.
0: Intelligent design and DNA. Scholars
1: can't explain it all away. Get ready to be awed by the hand. talking about